Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 131. Thank you for joining us. Today, Bonnie and I are joined by author, editor, podcaster, and veteran homeschool mother of 23 years, Danielle Bean. From the helpfulness of examining your own family culture to the changing roles of a mother from all little ones to older children who are starting their own families and more, Danielle has many words of wisdom and encouragement for all homeschooling moms. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Hi, Stephen. How's your week going? Hi, Bonnie. It's going well. As we're recording, we're getting a, a fall cold snap here, so it's first fire in the fireplace of the season and uh, staying warm. Nice. Here, too. It's also we're having a bizarre cold snap here, too. And so I decided I would switch from my the cold brew coffee I've been drinking, and I was going to brew some hot coffee this morning, and I got it all set up. So I thought before I went to bed last night, and then I came out this morning, and I neglected to plug in the coffee pot. <laughs> so uh, I had to wait for a while on on the coffee, and I was a bit behind the power curve for a while, but hopefully I've caught up. We shall see that, you know, the jury's still out on that one. We're not sure if I'm quite caught up from that. Our guest today is likely someone many of our listeners will recognize. I have a vivid memory of standing in the entryway of our house late at night, swaying with a sleeping infant and reading by porch light coming through the front door from the book Mom to Mom Day by Day, written by Mrs. Danielle Bean, who's here with us now. Hello and welcome to the Colby cast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here, Bonnie. Thank you. It's such a treat to talk to you, really. I'm I was telling Stephen before we started recording, um you and some ladies you have collaborated with for a long time have served as sort of um, elder sisters, ladies, a little bit further along the motherhood path for me, for my, you know, my kids are, t- I have four kids, ages 12 to 17. So um, I have looked up to you all for a long time for inspiration on how to do this thing. So <laughs> not that we know, but <laughs> we share but our experience that, though, anyway. <laughs> even that has been helpful to hear, you know, just to say that has been very reassuring. Yeah. I'm sure many of our audience are familiar with you, but for those who aren't, would you help us get to know you a bit? by telling us about yourself, um, your family's homeschooling experience, and your other endeavors? Sure. Um, so my husband, Dan, and I have been married for 28 years, and we live in New Hampshire. We're both New Hampshire natives. Uh, my family still lives here. His dad lives about 30 minutes from us, so we've still got family in the state. And then together, we have eight kids, and they range in age now. Our baby is 16, which is unreal. Yeah. Yes crazy. Um, and then my oldest is 27. So we started homeschooling with our oldest when she was four years old. So 23 years of homeschooling under our belts now, and I, I, I'm still figuring it out and <laughs> um, learning some lessons along the way. I always referred to myself as a reluctant homeschooler because I have my own projects, my own stuff. And <laughs> Uh, my time was precious. Uh, but, you know, actually in, in very, in, in recent years, uh, in talking with my husband, Dan, and was talking with other people, I've come to realize that homeschooling, as much as I called myself a reluctant homeschooler, has been probably the number one thing in our family lives that I, I would say is the best choice we ever made, like the biggest and best choice that we ever made. I do not regret it a bit, even though it was probably the hardest thing as well. So, 
a reluctant homeschooler, but now a really satisfied homeschooler, still figuring it out. I've got two high schoolers still left at home. Um, one is homeschooled full-time. One is taking one class at our local high school. We're blessed to be able to do that here in New Hampshire. Um, so homeschooling and then on the side, my, my full-time gig is being a wife and a mom, right? And then homeschooling. And I've always pursued writing. You mentioned one of my books. I have uh, b- several books after that one. Um, I've moved into podcasting. I was editor and publisher of magazines for many years. My current full-time role that I work um, full-time from home in that in this capacity is as editorial director with the Knights of Columbus. And that's actually a pretty new position for me. So always inter- interested in editorial pursuits for sure. Oh, sure. So you have so many interesting things happening and I have, I could go every which way, but I will zero in on a few of the things that you mentioned <laughs> in our opening intro every week. I introduce myself as among other things, a podcast fanatic. And so around that same general time that I was rocking my babies, as I was telling you about <laughs> um, and reading your books by porch light, I podcasting was becoming a thing for me, listening to them. That is mm-hmm. when I could, which wasn't all that often, but you know, when I could, I did one yeah. of the times I got to though, was when I was driving back and forth to preschool, my eldest was in preschool and I had little ones riding along. It was a rolling nap time for us. So when that happened, I would listen to your faith and family podcast with Rachel Balducci and, oh, Hendy and others <laughs> and read the magazine as well. And that it's again, so inspirational and helpful to me at that, at that point in my life, that preschooler at that time, he's a senior at Colby this year. And so when I, th- when I knew where I was going to get to talk to you today, I was right there back in that pickup line thinking about listening to your podcast from then even though um, that one is long gone, but you do, mm-hmm. as you as you mentioned, you do a couple others, including Girlfriends, which mm-hmm. I will tell you has been inspirational to me because I remember you commenting, I think pretty early on in that in that run that you were recording from your car at a baseball game or practice <laughs> or something. Yes. And I was like, oh, we have done the same thing here, to yeah. try, especially in the early days of the Colby cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have been hosting one from Magdalene College called Catholic College Conversations. There was yes. a recent episode with Anthony Eslin. And our own Jordan Almanzar has been on at least one episode. Is that right? Yeah, he's got a couple. There's one that's published and one yet to come. Cool, cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you also are podcasting elsewhere. Yes. My own personal podcast, which Jordan was a guest on recently, Mm -hmm. is Girlfriends. And that's um, so that's been a podcast I've been working on for Oh, this January is going to be seven years. Wow. Just, yeah, I know. I, I Everybody listening is like, how old is this woman? <laughs> no. But um, yeah, so I've been doing it for that long. And what a joy it's been kind of growing through that podcast. That's the, the most personal one to me that um, I, I love to share what's going on in my life and the different kinds of things that I'm struggling with. And what I find is that people in all walks of faith and family life are going through a lot of the same things. We find so much to connect uh, through, uh, especially through podcasts. Oh, definitely. It has been a, a way for me to be a part of many conversations that I otherwise would not have been. So right. Yeah, what a around. blessing. Yeah. Such a huge blessing for me. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna we will be sure to link to the episodes that you mentioned with Jordan, these mm-hmm. various podcast episodes and to your girlfriend's podcast and all these things. So our show notes will have links to these. Great. You started homeschooling at a time where homeschooling wasn't necessarily the in thing to do. But yeah. what what led you down that path? Um, years ago. Yeah, it, it was my, my crazy husband who, you know, he he's an educator. He has his master's in education. He was a teacher for 20 plus years at a private school. Um, but he got his start. He thought he was going to go when he got his degree. He thought he was going to go into public education. And he did that for about a year and a half. And he decided 
this is not for me. And not only that, this is not for my future children. <laughs> and so we, you know, going into marriage, he very much was adamant about that, that he did not want to be sending our kids to school. And, you know, I was kind of like, clueless. Okay. You know? Um, and so I kind of was like along for the ride, like, okay, let's give this a shot. And uh, we're very much new Englander types. Like I like to do things on our own. We like to be independent where I, I, you know, we dabbled in a little bit of, um, home homesteading early on, and we still raise animals here. We're on our own acreage. We're very much New Hampshire personality types. So homeschooling seemed to fit into that for me. Like it was, Oh, we get to, you know, be in charge of our kids' education. And in a lot of ways it was very freeing. Um, um, there was one time it, uh, about eight years ago now that my husband for a short time was a director of a charter school it, here in New Hampshire. And we thought at the time, well, if he's going to be there, then our two kids who are the right age for that, that school should be there as well. And we put them in there. Let me tell you, that was such a great wake up call for me as a homeschooler, as a reluctant homeschooler, like, oh, this is not so fun, you know, getting up at six in the morning and rushing everybody out the door and dealing with homework and different, you know, different kids in the classroom and all of those things. Like it kind of opened my eyes to the fact like there's no ideal form of education. I, I honestly believe that you just got to find the one that works best for your family. And for us, whether I liked it or not, every September it was admitting it was going to be homeschooling yet again for another year. And like I said, it's like the one decision I look back on in my life and absolutely have zero regrets about it. What a beautiful blessing it's been. Okay. One of the themes that you and others brought to my attention in those early years of motherhood was the idea of season as it applies to life and motherhood. Mm -hmm. So it was really helpful to me at that time as it continues to be in this homeschooling season where we are now, which has changed a lot, actually. Our homeschooling setup looks very different from when we started homeschooling six years ago. Our kids were in parochial school before that. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts about seasons of life, especially applied to homeschooling. Sure. Yeah. You know, I can look back now and I can see those, that early season of homeschooling where we were just so bright eyed and we just had stars yeah. in our eyes about all the wonderful things we were going to accomplish. And not that we didn't, you know, not that that wasn't true, but we didn't really see exactly what the specific challenges were going to be. And I was a little bit surprised along the way sometimes. Um, but I look back and I think what a precious time that was. Like, I remember when, like at one point, all of our kids, you know, all eight of our kids were under the age of 12 and that's a uniquely challenging time, mm -hmm. but it's also such a precious time. Like they were all here under our roof uh, every day of the week. And what a beautiful blessing that was to kind of grow together, share space together, um, rub up against each other's rough edges, but also just, you know, celebrate liturgical year and pray together and and do our, our learning together and read aloud together. And I mean, it was really a beautiful time in our family life where we were really cultivating who we are. You know, my husband, Dan, is um, a real proponent of the idea of building a family culture. And that doesn't mean you necessarily have to write up like, you know, what's our mission statement? But I mean, if you want to do that, go for it. Yeah. But he was, he's just really has always been very intentional about having conversations about like, what is our, our culture as a family? And I think it's really valuable for families to think about that. And especially homeschooling families, like how does homeschooling fit into your culture as a family? Who are you? And there's really no substitute, no replacement for spending that time kind of like an incubation together. You know, that's what I look at it as like, it was really intense. And, you know, the babies were coming fast and furious and we were figuring out what homeschooling was going to look like. And even just like, how do we organize all the stuff, all the books? Like, what do we do with all, you know, just figuring out some of the basics like that. Um, but really just growing into who we are, 
are as a family, who Dan and I are as parents and who we are as a couple and how we're going to parent our children and the, the kind of culture that we were looking to cultivate here. So I see that as such a uniquely precious time. Um, and at that time I wasn't working. I mean, I was doing freelance writing here and there, but I wasn't working full time at all. Um, so it was really just very much focused on our, our vocation as, as homeschoolers together. And then in, I don't know, I would call it like the middle years after that, um, kind of moved into kids started to be involved in more things. And our, our horizons began to expand with our, our kids getting involved in things at our church, all wonderful things, you know, and they had, they had friends that were outside of our immediate community and they had activities and sports. I mean, we are a big sports family. Um, my okay. boys, especially all play varsity sports. Thanks be to God, they can play them on the school teams here in New Hampshire. Not, and not every state has the laws that are friendly to that. Like we do here in New Hampshire. I'm so grateful for that. Um, but it's a huge burden on your schedule. And we would find ourselves, you know, driving from field to field or practice and games. And, um, you know, my girls were always involved in sports as well, but even other things like, you know, music uh, lessons or play practice and, you know, all the things. And as beautiful as that is, that they're doing those things in our, our kind of horizons as a family, we're kind of expanding out into our larger community in a way I very much believe is part of God's plan for the family. As you grow, you're, you're reaching out into the broader community. And, you know, St. John Paul II says beautiful things about our call as a, vo our vocation as a family to do exactly that, be giving of ourselves to others. And so that's all beautiful, but it's also a really tough time. And I was beginning to work first part-time, then full-time, always working from home. I was working remotely before it was cool. Um, but then just figuring out, like, how do we balance this crazy life that we know that God has called us to? And yet some days it feels overwhelming and I can look back and, and I can very much see now that I'm at this stage of my life that I was lying awake in the middle of the night, sometimes wondering like what's slipping through the cracks? Like, what am I missing? Because we're exhausted all the time. And I can see now some things did slip through the cracks. We weren't perfect. Nobody's perfect. And our, the education we gave our kids wasn't perfect. The family we were wasn't perfect and our parenting wasn't perfect, but I can see that those were opportunities for us to lean on God's grace. And that was actually the best gift that we could give ourselves. The best gift we could give our children were, was that example of teaching ourselves and our children. We're not God. We're going to fall short. We're going to get discouraged. We're going to disappoint you. We're going to, you know, mess things up. And yet God has a plan for that. God gives us grace in those moments. And that's how we learn to lean on God and as individuals, but also as part of our culture, as a family, recognizing that, talking about that and praying about that. Yeah. Well, you earlier, you said something wasn't in your family's charism. And that's very clear in what you're saying, that there's, there is this sort of discovering God's plan, not just for you as a person, but as your family as a whole and its role, not just in becoming holy as a family, but then expanding out. I, I really love that idea. And, and actually the intentionality that you mentioned, we're thinking about as a family, what, what is it that God's calling us to do as a family? I love that. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important. And I think not enough people think about it or talk about it. Um, it. It might sound a little hokey, but I think it is so important to to really give thought to what is our culture as a family? What are our values and how do those translate into how we're living our lives? How does that translate into what's on our calendar? 
or the, the ways we're spending our time or the ways we're spending our money or, you know, the ways that we spend time together. What does that look like in our, in our home and in our family? And that's going to vary. There, there are lots of beautiful ways to live that out and it's going to vary uh, person by person, but especially family by family. And, and that's a, a beautiful thing that you can see in God's plan for the family and God's plan for the church are all of these different unique roles that we can play and the, the unique gifts and strengths that we bring to the, the church at large. And that intentionality, I think the, the time we spend together as homeschooling families, our kids can see us re in real time working through the various aspects of life and can see what we, you know, not every, of course, they don't have the whole picture. No, anyway, they get a far better, more comprehensive look at how we move through the day, how we approach decisions, things like that. I think it's an, an opportunity to set an example for them that hopefully is helpful to them as they approach as they enter into their adult lives and have to, they are, find themselves in, in similar positions where they have to make decisions and choose to be intentional about things. And it isn't just some magical, okay, now this happens or something. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really, a really valuable part about homeschooling is I would say that in the end, it's about our relationships with our kids and our, and their, and their relationships with one another, that that's the, the hugest benefit of homeschooling, in my opinion, that there's no replacement for that time spent together in shared spaces. And they're going to pick up on your examples from that, hopefully good examples, right? Um, but being aware of that and um, they're going to, they're going to see how you're living your faith out. They're going to, they're going to know you in that way. And there's an intimacy there that is, you just can't find in any other way. And I always feel a little bit bad when I talk to, sometimes I'll give talks at parishes or whatnot to, to parents. And, and I always have to hold myself back just a little bit like about homeschooling. Cause I know not everybody's a homeschooler, right. But I find myself thinking and, and saying, you know, they're like, quality time is quantity time. Like that's how it works. Like there's no replacement for that shared time together in shared spaces. Like you can't predict the moment that your high schooler is going to ask a question or that, you know, something's going to, some circumstance is going to come up and you'll have an opportunity to teach them something. And it's just about sharing more, more time together. And it's about increasing the odds that you're going to be an influence in their lives, right? And the strongest influence in their life outside of God is what you're meant to be as their parent. And you, you can't do that when they're not right there with you, you know? And of, of course, there's, there's all different ways that people can educate their kids and do it well and parent their kids and do it well. But I think parents need to really be conscious of the value of that time spent together for sure. I think so often pe people forget that that parenting isn't just uh, until your child goes off to college, that it's it's really a lifelong thing. And, and so I, I know that, the, as you say, there's other ways to educate than homeschooling, but as far as a natural way to just develop those, you know, I'm fortunate enough to work from home now and with all my kids being homeschooled just to, during the day. They're, I turn around and they're all sitting by the fire today and we can <laughs> chat for a few minutes while we're grabbing lunch or whatever and have good conversations and then back to studies, back to work, whatever. And then mm -hmm. and it just, that that would be gone. If when I was a public school student myself, I'd be gone from that seven in the morning till seven or eight at night with, mm -hmm. with everything. And that's a lot of time I missed with my, with my parents and my, my brother and things growing up. Right. 
Right. I agree. I had a similar experience. I went to public school and I was involved in all the things. Right. And so that does mean you're gone for 12 plus hours a day. And that's kind of the norm. Right. And that's sad. You know, as some of my kids have gotten older, they've some of them have transitioned to part time going to school and a couple of them transitioned to full time going to our local public school. And that was always a a difficult thing. But at some point it is age appropriate. Right. For them to be spending more time outside of your home. And but I found that that was always a difficult change for me to navigate because it was, it was, it was a great loss, right? Because this person that you spent all this time with is, is no longer there for all the hours of the day that they were there previously. So really important for us to be conscious of what a blessing and what a benefit that is of homeschooling. So at this point in your life, you have adult children living on their own and children at home, as you were saying, what, what can you tell us about the transitional times or hard seasons of family life? maybe even like seismic shifts in family life, these run the gamut of those. What, what do you? Yeah. Um, probably when I was at the stage where you're at, Bonnie, I was like, I would look ahead to like where I am now and, and have kind of like a a fear or anxiety about it. Like what on earth is that going to be like? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I can tell you that is some parts of it are very hard, you know, that letting go of your kids, you know, I wrote a whole book, giving thanks and letting go from Ave Maria press, which is very much focused on this kind of transition, this, this stage of life, but really looking to not just share honestly about the challenges of it. Like we don't want to let our babies go. Right. I want to follow them off to college. And, and yet also it's an opportunity I have found moving into this stage of life, which, um, is, is very much a a change in that my kids, my kids don't need me in quite that same way when their sticky little fingers were were pulling at my pant leg, right? They don't need me in quite that same way. They're not waking up in the middle of the night. They don't need me to change their sheets or get them a drink of water. Right. But they still do need me. And I'm still their mother. I'm just learning at this stage that mothering looks different. And I've, I've always been a big proponent of talking about, you know, St. John Paul II's feminine genius and the call of every woman to the vocation of motherhood. Like he had the audacity to say that about women, that every woman's called to be a mother. But what does that mean? It doesn't, of course, mean everyone's going to physically bear children. Um, but many of us, that's our experience of motherhood or our primary experience of motherhood. But it means beyond that, like mothering as a verb, like to mother, like we do it. Mothering isn't something we are, it's something we do. And we are rock stars at it. And so it's kind of opened my mind and opened my heart a little bit in times when I find myself floundering a bit, like, what do I do now? Like, this feels awkward. Like I always, you know, I always had a kid to bring to the the ball game or, you know, something along those lines that I feel a little bit out of place sometimes, or, or I'll see like a young mom at the grocery store and I still feel like that's me. Right. But it's not me anymore. Right. And so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing as, as change always is right. It's challenging. And yet I'm finding their beautiful blessings and in, in learning the ways that God is calling me to mother the people in my life right now. Um, there are opportunities in my marriage to nurture my marriage, nurture my relationship with my husband that just didn't exist, you know, 10 plus years ago. And there are ways that I'm mothering my young adult kids and my, my sons and daughters-in-law that, you know, these, these beautiful people that are coming to our lives and our, our worlds have expanded that I'm being called to play that role. Um, and just this past summer, I became a grandma. So Aww. I do have our very first little granddaughter. Yes, thank you. And she's she's precious and she's beautiful and she's perfect. And it's it's 
caused me to really pause and to think, what is my role now? Like, I'm not the mother. Like when they were here, they spent a good bit of time here in, the, in like almost a week. And we were kind of like, you know, living life together and, and sharing the baby. And it all felt so natural and so good. And it felt so good to me to have a baby in the house again. But it really did make me like kind of pause and reflect like, well, but I'm not the mom. And kind of having that separation, but then realizing that that really expands my role in a way. It, it provides new opportunities for ways that I can love this child and this whole next generation of children, God willing, um, that that didn't exist before. And I couldn't play that role in my children's lives. That's their their job now as, as the parents of this next generation. And it's really a very beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to be to be called to that motherhood in different ways through the different stages of your life. See, this is what I've said from the beginning of another, and now I'm checking in with you at this stage. Uh, <laughs> we just need so a little much. bit of encouragement sometimes, you know, and, Absolutely. and, you know, the, the other thing that I would say about this stage is that it's given me so much perspective, like so much that I have to like bite my tongue sometimes. Cause I want to tell my young adult kids and, and their spouses, like exactly how to do it all, you know, but um, in fact, sometimes my, my daughter-in-law who's, who's wonderful. And like, she, she, she texted me since the baby was born a few different times asking different things about, you know, this and that with the baby. And, and I would find like, I'm texting like a book back to her. Like I've got so much to say. <laughs> and um, so I switched over to voice memos. It's you know, <laughs> like, I have a lot to share here, but, but I, I'm also being very aware of the fact that it's, it's a different role that I'm, I'm playing now, but what a, a beautiful gift it is. And, and what a natural thing it is for us to move from, from one, one stage of life to the next. There's really a, a beautiful, a beautiful element to that that yes, there are some parts that are painful and, and some parts are, are hard to adjust to, but we really need to open our eyes to the gift that this time of life can be. Some similarities to when the motherhood season began and we had no idea. Yes. <laughs> now we're in like the, this next season and it will unfold. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's ever happened that you might have had occasion to say to your kids, something along the lines of when you're a mom, you'll understand or things like that. Mm -hmm. Have those occasions has that come full circle for you where they, where yeah. they say, oh, I can see why you did that or why you said that? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so funny because um, there have been a few different moments that really stand out to me in that regard, and especially about homeschooling. So my my oldest son, when he was in high school, he was transitioning into, like I mentioned, some of my kids did transition and, and begin to take some classes at the local high school. He really wanted to end up getting his degree from our local high school. So he's looking at like credits and figuring all that stuff out. He was super frustrated. And and, um, you know, we were, we were new at this. He was my second, you know, so he was still very much the guinea pig phase of, you know, like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to manage high school? And he was feeling the brunt of that. And I remember one day he was so frustrated and he just, he stood in the kitchen and he, he just yelled at me and he's like, why did you do this to me? You know, referencing homeschooling. And in that moment, it just broke my heart. Like all I could do was like, leave the room, go call my husband and cry, you know? And like, how could you ask me that? Like, why did I do this to you? Like, this is the most sacrificial thing I've ever done. And I've done it for you. Like, you know, and, and it was so hard because he didn't see it in that moment. And yet I can tell you now that he's married and the granddaughter that's born is his daughter. Um, before he got married, they had conversations about how they were going to school their children, how they're going to educate their children. And he was adamant that they would homeschool their kids. And so I'm like, okay, <laughs> there's a little moment where I was like, okay, so that kind of came full circle. And I felt very validated and like he, he understood, you know, he saw the value of it. Um, but also, you know, there've been times where like my, my daughter, for example, who 
doesn't have kids yet herself, but um, where she, she'll be, you know, in a, a challenging situation with a child or, or something along those lines. And she'll just look at me and say like, oh my gosh, mom, <laughs> like <laughs> I totally get it. Or I'm sorry. I remember one time she said, sorry, when she was, it was actually, it was, she was taking care of a puppy for her mother-in-law and um, the puppy was in, they were taking it in the airport and it was just howling, like just howling. And she was like, how do I get this, this creature to stop screaming? And I was like, yeah, that's what I asked, like, you know, for <laughs> three full months after you were born, you know, and she's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and yet there's a way they, they see it now. You know, they can get it now and they can appreciate it now. Not that we did things perfectly, yeah. but they see the value of it and they can understand some of our choices in a way that they didn't in the moment. And I used to take it so personally when they were, you know, teenagers and, and rejecting our values or rejecting our way of doing things or rebelling against our rules that. I used to take it like it felt very much like a personal rejection, but I can see now that was that was something they needed to go through. And it's given me perspective even now with, you know, we still have two teenagers at home and sometimes they'll need to do some of the same kinds of pushing back and um, we'll have moments like that. And I can see myself in those moments now where I remember how I used to just be so emotional and I would take it very personally with our older kids. And now I'll just be like, okay, like, you, you need to do this right now. And I'm just going to, I'll be in the other room for when you're done, you know, like, yeah. and, and I just have that kind of perspective and wow, what a gift that is only if I had had that early on, you know, it would have been a, a lot less heartache along the way. Had to go through it to get there though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's good. Okay. I'll hold on to that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, among the reasons you've given for continuing to homeschool as long as you have is the benefit to the relationships among your family members, which you mentioned already in this conversation. Uh, would you share some of the ways um, in which your children have developed strong and healthy relationships with each other and maybe what those are like now that they're not all living under your roof? Yeah. I mean, this is the big thing for big families, right? You, you just kind of like, I, I understand now. So I was raised one of nine. I wasn't homeschooled. Um, in fact, my mother, so many of us, us kids homeschool our kids and have made that choice for our families that early on, my mother was almost a little bit defensive about it. I remember her saying to us like, homeschooling wasn't a thing. Like if we didn't even know it was an option, you know, and it's like, mom, nobody's judging you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yet um, so many of us have. And um, I, I know I see that my mom through the years, how, how, what, how she has just really been motivated to keep us connected with one another. You know, she's always the one like behind the scenes, like pulling the gatherings together, making sure communication is happening and those sorts of things. And, and now that my kids are older and some are, are no longer living here and some are married with families of their own, I can see that the value of that sort of as the matriarch of this little family that, um, that we need to be connected in that way. And women have a unique capacity for doing that kind of working behind the scenes, connecting, building bonds, building relationships, noticing the details. You know, we can't always meet people's needs, but we can find people who can meet their needs. Right. And we can notice the needs in the first place. So I, I like to look to our lady at the wedding at Cana and, and her example there where she noticed a need and she went to our Lord and, and asked him to, to fill it. Like she couldn't do it herself and she didn't even know how he would do it. And so many times as moms, we, we're doing exactly that with our kids. Like we're noticing they have a need and whether we're going to be, you know, just lifting them up in prayer and supporting them that way, or if we're going to help them to make a connection, help them make connections with one another. So they have that bond and they have that encouragement and support um, that we find ways of making that happen. Um, right now, it seems to happen pretty naturally among my kids who are living in the same areas. I've got um, 
two of my my kids who are married are are living down in Charlotte and we're here in New Hampshire. So they're they're the farthest away. And I've got two that are in college down in Florida. And um, but the rest, as they're like looking to like, you know, build their lives and looking for work, they're they're coming, they're coming around here. And and that isn't I I didn't as much as I wanted to like make that a rule of life that it had to be. And yet I've been gratified to see that they, they want to be nearby. They want to be able to, to be around. And, um, and that's a, a really beautiful, beautiful thing. And so I'm finding my role has kind of shifted where instead of it being all crazy all the time around here with nonstop, you know, people in and out and going in different directions, it kind of happens like feast or famine, you know, <laughs> like oh, everyone will be around on the weekends or everyone will be around through the holidays, you you know, just over Columbus Day, my my college kids were back and other kids were visiting from out of state. And it was just joyful chaos for the entire weekend. And then come Monday morning, it was like, boom, quiet. And, and in a way, it makes me appreciate, you know, the contrast helps me to appreciate the quiet for what it is and the opportunities I have to do things that I couldn't do when it was all chaos all the time. And then the chaos, of course, is always welcome and it's always joyful. And I, I love those big family gatherings and dinners and uh, different kinds of events like that as well. Stephen, are you finding that to be true with your kids as they're getting old? You've got one in college and another one who is, is he a junior in high school this year, right? Yeah. Junior this year. Yeah. yeah. And then some younger ones. Well, so much of what you're saying just strikes a chord, especially about mothering and all of that time that you put in as a mother to develop those relationships. So my daughter who's away at college is, I mean, my wife gets the majority of the phone calls and the texts and things like that. <laughs> now, if there's car problems or things like that, then 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 I'm I'm involved. <laughs> but but uh, it's it's again it's just lovely to think. Yeah, my my wife has spent the time to build. I mean, not that I don't have a relationship, but it's a mothering right. relationship that's there, and so it's a constant. I mean, some weeks are busier busier than others, but it's. It's not infrequent that I walk into our room and she's texting or talking to my daughter who's away. Right. Um, which is beautiful for me. Yeah. Yeah. And and my own mom still plays that role for me. You know, once upon a time, I remember my dad joking that um, for us girls in the family, no, no experience was ever complete or it never truly happened until we had shared it with mom, you know, like, <laughs> and, and I find that so true. And, I, and then it kind of makes it kind of like a hashtag relationship goals with my own daughters and my own young adult kids. Like I want them to be wanting to wanting to share, not just the times when they need my support, but the good times and, and just be sharing, you know, what they're going through and homeschooling really builds a beautiful foundation for that kind of lifelong connection. It seems like we spend so much time together now that, that it is just natural for it to continue in one way or another, hopefully. And that is another reason to invest the time in, in developing the healthy relationships among, mm -hmm. among each other that we would want to keep them going. Right. Awesome. Right. I love that. Um, instead of Facebook official, it's mom official. It didn't happen if, <laughs> if, uh, unless until mom knows about it. I like yeah, that. So yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> Well, a listener wrote asking us for advice for when her children are struggling to treat each other well, particularly when the family is going through a difficult time. What, what would you say to her? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that that depends on the age of the kids, right? What the appropriate response is. But this goes back to what I was talking about, your charism or your, your culture as a family. Um, you know, what do you want it to be? And, and, and part of the ways in which I think Dan and I have found success in our parenting have been very much based on that. And so that means being intentional about how you talk about things, like what are your values as a family and, and really using that kind of language with your kids and saying, 
we don't talk to each other like that. You know, in this house, we don't use words like that or we don't call each other names or, you know, whatever the misbehavior or the disrespect that you're seeing among your kids. And, you know, there have been I can remember a few different experiences that were kind of, you know, um, more dramatic than others where one of our kids, you know, there was an infraction of some sort of that kind of family code with regard to respect for others. And it just it stands out so vividly in my mind because of the heartbreak that I felt in that moment, you know, when your, your kids are falling short of these, these ideals that you've set for them, but also the, the kind of intensity of uh, my response, but, but also my husband Dan's response, which is different, right? Because God gives our kids mothers and fathers for a reason. And I really have seen through the years in our parenting that the role that I play as a mother very often mirrors kind of the, the mercy of God, you know, and, and very much the, the way that Dan, you know, interacts with our kids very much is sort of an embodiment of the justice of God and both are ways that God loves us. You know, his justice is not justice without the mercy and the mercy is not mercy without the justice. And so recognizing that, like we, as parents, I think it's, it's, it sounds super lofty when you say it, but it's completely true that we are our children's first experience of God. When they connect with us, when they bond with us, when we love them, when we teach them what love is, when we teach them how to love and how to interact with others, we give them their identity in this world, that we're their first experience of what their relationship with God is meant to be. Our relationship with them is like, you know, a, a, a smudgy mirror, right, of what it's meant to be with what their experience of relationship with God is meant to be. So being cognizant of that, what, how do you want to embody that? How do you want to embody the, the love of God for your children? And in what ways can you communicate that value to them? And in what ways can you follow through with consequences when, and I'm not saying if, because they all mess up, right? When they they fall short of these expectations that you have. And um, I use that word expectations very deliberately because that has always been a, an important part of the way that we have parented and a way that I find is very valuable. Um, and, and part of it comes from this kind of code, this kind of family culture or charism or whatever you want to call it, that these are kind of unspoken almost expectations. I remember one time leaving mass with all of our kids, all stair step, you know, little kids and, and an older woman stopped us and said to, to my husband, how do you get them to behave in the pew? How do you get them to sit still there? And, and I remember, I don't remember exactly what Dan answered, but I remember at the time thinking to myself, yeah, how, how do we do that? And it was, and not that they were perfect. Right. But, um, it was that we expect them to, like there's this expectation and we had set a standard that this is how you behave in this place. And, you know, different children are going to be more challenging than others. I'm not admonishing anybody whose kid is freaking out in the pew. We've all been there. Totally get it. But at the same time, if you never set that standard, if you don't have that expectation, if you aren't explicit in teaching your children, we respect other people in this family and in this household. And this is how we behave. This is how we interact with others. This is how we speak to others and then follow through with constant consequences when they fall short of that, then you're going to be the one to blame, right? Because you haven't set that expectation. And if that sounds exhausting, that's because it is, right? <laughs> and, and parenting is. And um, so often I've, I've come to realize the moments where we really shine as parents are those where we don't give in to that temptation toward laziness to just let things slide. When we, we follow through, when we don't feel like it, we follow through when it's not the popular thing to do. We follow through when it's uncomfortable. We ask the question that we don't want to know the answer to all of those moments um, that really require a discipline on our part are part of how we discipline and raise our kids. 
what you were saying just reminds me of having small children at mass. And they would always get, you know, when they're babies, they always love to sleep in their mother's arms. And it was beautiful. All of them got to a point where they were getting to be toddlers and they realized that they could go to their mother as usual and but they could squirm their way out because they were strong <laughs> enough now to escape so then there was always this period where no now dad's holding you <laughs> for the next several months until you, you can learn your boundaries here because you can't escape from me but right. <laughs> i love that i love that and that really speaks to like figuring out the system that works for you you know and and for your family and we had tricks we had hacks like that as well i remember that there was always a kid at a certain age, like you're describing there, where like Dan would sit on one end of the pew, I'd sit on the other end of the pew. And that kid was allowed to move in between us. Right. And that was it. Like that was that kid's boundaries. And, and, and that didn't apply to all the kids. It was to that one kid who couldn't be expected to sit still exactly perfectly. Right. But he had that much space. We let him work with that much space as long as he wasn't hurting anybody or being a big distraction. And, and there also was a stage at which I don't know how we did it, but it was like magic where we turned it into it was like a special privilege to sit next to mom and you could lose that privilege, you know? And, and I was like, Oh, all of a sudden all the children want to behave well. So they get to sit next to mom in church. Like we, we really came up with a trick there. Um, but yeah, so stuff like that really works, <laughs> but it really is about figuring out like what's going to work with your family because every family is different and your kids temperaments are different. And um, you know, and like I said, that everybody can relate to that moment when your kid is just not having it in the pew and you do that walk a shame to the back of the church with your kid who's having a tantrum or whatever's going on. And like, we all understand it. And, and, but I, I love that the families are there and I love that they keep showing up despite the challenges. Absolutely. Do you have any words of consolation or advice for parents who are taking some heat for their decision to homeschool? Oh, well, I can completely relate. Right. And like I said, there, there it's, it's natural for kids to push back. Right. Um, and I don't know if you mean kids pushing back or if you mean like society at large or extended like family, friends, family. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, that's, that's tough, but I think you just need to be confident in who you are as a family and, you know, and, and it's really important for couples to be on the same page and I would focus there and, you know, all this outside flack, you need to be a team facing that together. And, and sometimes it is helpful to have some kind of, you know, kind of pat answers to some of the common questions, you know, about, oh, how are they going to be socialized or how are, you know, all of these different things that people like to ask. And, and sometimes people are asking because they're genuinely curious and other times they're asking and they've got, you know, not so great motives. So I think kind of discerning through that is, is helpful. Um, but then just making sure you're on the same page with your spouse and that, you know, you've, you've talked to your kids about the reasons why you're homeschooling and that you are feeling good and confident about it. If you're not there yet, you know, do what you need to do, do your research, have your conversations with people, pray about it, get yourself to that place. Cause there's, there's no replacing that confidence, you know, that confident answer to, to people. And not that it has to be a smart answer to people, but just, you know, being that example of, you know, a joyful homeschooler or, you know, or a, a homeschooler who can see the humor of it or can see some of the, the, the pitfalls of it. And yet is choosing to do it anyway. If you can be that example to the society at large, you, you might just plant a seed in someone's mind that would encourage them to give it a try. Great, great advice. I've heard you speak also on the, the element of fear when the fear factor, when you're making this a decision based on fear and how you can kind of move through that. I think that is, it's great stuff. I'm, I'm going to put some links in our show notes of some of the episodes where you've addressed that. Oh, I think great. That's, 
very helpful to hear more than once mm -hmm. as necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely true. Yeah. Well, I like when you were talking about the, the six weeks that you went to the, your children went to the charter school and then realizing that wasn't for you. It's, it seems mm -hmm. like it's important to recognize you, you have a choice. I mean, right. so if you, you don't have to homeschool, you can do other things, but embrace that this is something you've chosen and um, you can always change your mind, try other things if you want to later. But for now, yeah, it's, it's uh, this is what you've decided to do. So exactly. Yeah. Step into confident. it with confidence. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And recognizing you have that choice. I think sometimes the fear that you talk about, Bonnie, that comes from feeling like I make this one choice and it might be the wrong choice and that's it forever, you know? Yeah. And Right. That's not actually true. Like you can change your mind about things. Yeah. You can change your mind about what, what curriculum you use or, or whether or not your kid's going to take a class with the local co-op or whether they're going to play a particular sport or whether they're going to go to your parochial school or you're going to homeschool and you can change your mind. You can absolutely do that. And, you know, for us, I always kind of looked at it as like every, every year we would commit again like yes homeschooling makes sense for us again this year and then it became like a case-by-case -case basis with some of our kids because some of them were looking into other options and interested in in trying other things and and like like i explained sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't and that's just part of life and that's part of how you you learn and grow together and even the 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 experiences that are kind of quote-unquote failures they aren't really failures in the end because you learn from that. You, you learn from that, that that's not the thing for you, or you learn to value the thing that you were, you thought you were rejecting or walking away from. And now you're going back to. So true. Well, let's go back to the idea of seasons this time liturgical. Mm -hmm. This episode is going to air during Advent. Nice. So let's talk about living the season of Advent. Well, as Catholic homeschooling families, what do you think? Yeah, I think moms need to stop putting so much darn pressure on themselves. <laughs> I mean, you're like, you're homeschooling. You're already doing a lot, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I feel like Advent, it, it's so sad because it's such a beautiful season. And yet sometimes it becomes another to-do, another like weight upon our shoulders that we're not doing it right. We don't have the Jesse tree up or you know, can't find the Advent candles or, you know, all of this stuff. And I just, I, I really want to encourage moms to like embrace where you are right now. If that's a crazy chaotic season where you're homeschooling and doing a hundred other things, then don't burden yourself with extra stuff. Maybe for Advent, you're, you're just going to, you know, add a, a little, a little bit of scripture to your daily prayer time together as a family or um, maybe you're, you are going to find the actual Advent candles and you're going to light the candles, you know, as often as you can at dinner times or, or other times that make sense or, or when you're saying family prayers and that kind of thing, like don't burden yourself. There's, there's such a richness to the, the church's tradition during the season of Advent and so many beautiful saints feast days. And, you know, that's, that's a plus and it's a con because at the same time, as we're, we're feeling inspired and encouraged and all these beautiful things that we can celebrate, we're feeling burdened because all these beautiful things we have to celebrate, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's too much. So I really encourage uh, moms, especially to just simplify your schedule during Advent. Maybe that's what you're going to do during Advent. Cut some things out, make some room for quiet, make some room for quiet together as a family or, or just for you personally, find that space and that time even if it's just for 10 minutes each day, maybe you're going to get up 10 minutes earlier, or maybe you're going to do it in the evening or do it when the baby's down for a nap or whatever it is. And um, just don't put that kind of pressure on yourself. This isn't something you're going to perform. Years ago, I had to come to terms with the fact that Christmas and Advent aren't something I create for my family. Like, and, and it, 
it feels like that sometimes there's a lot that's on us. You know, I, I have a good girlfriend. I, I love this story she shared with me where one advent, she was feeling really pressured by all the preparations for Christmas. And she was just overwhelmed with everything. And she's kind of complaining a little bit and venting to him a little bit. And he told her, don't worry. It, it always all gets done. And she was like, yeah, that's because I do it. You know? <laughs> and it's like, that's not encouraging. And, and so many women, I think, find themselves in that funny situation. Like it all is me. But, you know, let's remember like what we're celebrating here, what Christmas is, right? This is the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of our salvation. God made man, you know, let's remember the beauty of that and what we're working toward during the Advent season. And as many of these beautiful things as you want to and are able to do and add to your, your family's calendar during the season of Advent, that's great. But let's not forget what the focus is, which is preparing our hearts to receive Jesus. And some years that's going to look like not doing a lot of extra stuff and actually clearing some space in your heart and your mind and your calendar and, you know, even literally your physical space in your home to, you know, allow some peace and quiet in your life during the season of Advent. And the idea of, of peace and quiet for homeschooling families is a little bit, <laughs> um, I the, the right word is escaping me at the moment, but that's so <laughs> true. It's a, um, what is this all about? Why are we even doing this in the first place? Let's come back right. to that. Yes. Yeah. He's coming. He has come. Mm -hmm. We're celebrating no matter what else happens. Right. When you're not going to mess right it up. Christmas, <laughs> you know, all those things. It's still Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. right. Stephen, anything you want to add to that? I don't mean to talk over you. No, I was, I was just thinking about the chaos because <laughs> as we're talking, we've got sons, dogs, all sorts of interesting things for us. <laughs> While, while trying real. to do a podcast. So it's, yeah, <laughs> the homeschooling life. There we are. Yep. 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 So true. <laughs> well, do you have any final thoughts or takeaways you'd like to leave with our listeners? Um, I just want to encourage people to embrace the season you're in right now of your, your, your motherhood, of your homeschooling journey, if you're a homeschooler, of, you know, where your family is right now. And just, you know, rather than trying to look forward to the future with anxiety or look toward the past with nostalgia, like God wants you to have joy in your, your present moment, where you are right now with all of, all of its ups, all of its downs, all of its joys and all of its challenges. So I really want to encourage people to just, just embrace where you are right now. And, and anybody who's like a, a, a youngish homeschooler, who's feeling overwhelmed by it all, like know that that's part of the process, you know, that that discomfort is, is part of it is part of what you, you experience early on, especially when you're adapting to something as, as large and overwhelming as this is. And, and I just want to encourage you to know that it, it really does. It really does all come out in the wash. <laughs> like there, there's, I can see that now in a way that I didn't appreciate or understand when I was a young mom. And so any young mom that's listening, that's really struggling with that. I, I want you to know that. And maybe you can't know it till you're there yourself, but it, just knowing that I exist over here on this side of things. <laughs> and I'll tell you, it's okay. It works <laughs> out, you know, and, and we didn't do everything perfectly and, and we messed some things up and yet God gives you grace for that. And um, that's really just, for me, the most beautiful gift of homeschooling was, was learning just how much we need God's grace. Amen. Well said. Well, it has been a highlight of my week getting to meet you and visit with you today and work with you on the creation of this episode. We sure appreciate you coming to talk to us. Check the show notes for lots of helpful links 
Danielle, thank you so much for coming to the Colby cast. We wish you all the very best. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real joy talking with you. Subscribe to the Colby cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode and let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at Colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.